I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. I hope you all enjoyed part one of Hannah's hopeful story last week. That episode aired last Tuesday for Tuesday Truth. So happy Tuesday and enjoy part two of Hannah's episode. Remember that Hannah recorded this episode with me first and wanted to go back and and talk about her vulnerable self, which was the first part of the episode last week. So if you're wondering why it seems a little bit disjointed, that's why. And we really do strive to be genuinely ourselves here. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, as always, you can drop me a line at rose at ThriveOnlineCounseling.com. That's right. We are rebranded up and running. It is Rose at ThriveOnlineCounseling.com. You can also email Rose at SkeeterStrength.com and I'll find it. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. So today we're here with Hannah and we're going to do a recovery story, which people love recovery stories because they're so hopeful. So I'm super excited to have you here, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Hi. How are you doing today? Good. I'm super excited to be here. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. I love it. I love that you're willing to come and and share your story because it is just so super impactful for people to like relate and people can relate to me, but more than me is everyone else they can relate to because we all have individual stories. So yeah, let's jump in. Tell us how and when you received your diagnosis. So I received my diagnosis about nine months ago. Um, I'd been in therapy for trauma on and off since I was 15, but in 2022, I realized that like something really had to change. Um, I was seeing a therapist consistently for a year and also seeing someone for medication management. Mm -hmm. Um, The medication wasn't really helping, so I was kind of exhausted at going through like all the side effects and whatnot um the my medication management person mentioned briefly bipolar disorder 2 okay um bpd to me so i had looked into bipolar disorder 2 it didn't really fit me um then i looked into bp bpd and There was so much like negative, horrible things that I was reading online and I was like, no way, this can't be me. Yeah. I couldn't. What were some of the things, just like to interrupt really quick, what what were some of the things, do you remember any of them where you're like, well, this is just not me? Um, So the first thing that I saw was it associated with like narcissistic personality disorder and I was like, there's no way I could suffer from that. Like I genuinely love and care about people and I do have empathy. Um, I read a lot of like, oh, if you're in a relationship with someone with borderline, pack your bags and leave. Um, It was like really painful to like see that because I didn't, 
it just didn't fit me. Like I knew on the inside that like I was genuinely a good person. I just had a really hard time conveying like what was on the inside to the outside. So after reading all of that, I just like shut it down and I was like, no way I couldn't find anything positive. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. I mean, I, I had a very similar experience and I know many people do, so we'll keep going and then kind of shift to, what were some of the things that were actually true kind of in that and like how can we soften the blow a little bit for people right because it some of it's you know true and most of it is is mean and really way off base i think yeah it was hard for me to find like someone explaining it and like it's i guess you would like more true form like actively like what was happening internally with someone that suffers because a lot of it was from the perspective of like people witnessing it outwardly and not understanding like the internal thing going on right. with borderline. Uh, so after seeing that, I kind of just like shut the door <laughs> and was like, this is not me. It really freaked me out. Yeah. But therapy wasn't working like traditional talk therapy and I hit rock bottom things in my life were like falling apart so I decided to look into BPD again I wanted to learn and see if I could like find more out from someone that like had a better perspective on it mm -hmm. um, I knew I met a lot of the criteria like fear of abandonment suicidal thoughts um honestly probably every almost every one of them some of them were just like more significant especially like the fear of abandonment and um like super sensitive um i got on spotify <laughs> <laughs> bpd you were the first thing that came up and I like hearing it from your perspective, like I just knew, like listening to your story, like this is what I'm suffering from and this is what's stopping me for having like the life I desired. It really separated me from like the monster I thought I was because I didn't I didn't understand myself. Like right. I couldn't get like my internal feelings to like be expressed like in like a healthy form and like i just like operated in like such a fear-based mindset and it helped me learn so much about myself and like why i would do the things i do you're the first person that used the word recovery and like i held on to that word like it was my life raft wow yeah it was like this is it like it was so freeing to know that like there was a choice like no one i didn't see anything about like it being a choice that like i didn't have to live a life that was like painful and uncomfortable and like super chaotic yeah yeah, no, totally. I, you know, there, a lot of the information is, is like, you'll be like this, 
pretty much forever, but you know, I think there are treatments that will help you. And you know, that was really the message I wanted to to fight against, you know, and and I'm glad. I'm so glad you were able to find that. You you mentioned a little while back that you hit a rock bottom. Would you mind describing a little bit about what that rock bottom looked like so that people can kind of understand like what drove you to actually like try to figure it out. So that rock bottom looked like I had a great quality of life or like good, not a great quality of life at the time, but like amazing friends, amazing relationship, amazing partner. And it just slowly started to deteriorate because of my behaviors and I, I was losing friends. I was losing my partner and it just didn't, it didn't make sense mm. why I would lose the people that like I love dearly. And I was yeah. like, I'm not going to continue to lose people that I love and, you know, that are genuinely good to be in my life so that was like a huge driving factor like I wanted to love the people in my life the right way yeah yeah absolutely okay that's good so did you have like a falling out with someone or just kind of realizing like I have a good life but yet I don't believe that I have a good life and I'm not acting like I have a good life I the first thing that I recognized is like I had a falling out with a friend um, and it was like a lot of reality distortions were kind of tied to that and I didn't recognize that that's what was happening until I was learning more about the disorder. Um, a lot of like internal conflict with like the feelings I had about like the people I love in my life. Um, I had lost my partner at the time, which was really hard because it was like the first relationship I experienced that was like healthy and stable and consistent. Yeah. And I, it was confusing to me. Like I didn't understand that. Like all of my previous relationships had been um, very chaotic, super intense and impulsive. And like, it was very foreign to me to experience like consistency in a right. relationship. And like, once I lost that, I was like, I was so determined to not let borderline rob me of like anything else in my life, like my quality of life, like friendships, like receiving love from other people. That's like really what drove me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's really good that you were able to come to the place where you see that things are falling apart and you really want to do something about it because it's not, I mean, it's awesome that you had the realizations, but it's not awesome that you had the falling outs. I don't mean that it's really, you know, it's just a, a really dark place. I would imagine that you're in, right? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So you're listening to the podcast, you're having these realizations, then what? <laughs> 
uh having an identity crisis <laughs> having an identity crisis okay define that a little bit what do you mean <laughs> so one time you said it perfectly you said like i was kind of realizing that i lived my whole life backwards like i had this idea of myself and like who i was but it definitely was not getting portrayed outwardly like i had no sense of like a moral compass Mm -hmm. um so it was like who am i what am i doing how do i build like consistency in my life and stable relationships and like a stable mindset going forward and um it was really confusing honestly it and lonely yeah yeah, super lonely. Why? Because no one around me, like, could understand, like, me and, like, my feelings because they were just so intense and, like, not normal or average or typical and no one kind of knew what to do with them and neither did I yeah I, and like one of the biggest mistakes was like having like huge feelings and then like trying to hand them off to another person because I didn't know how to like control them like I would seek so much like validation or wanting someone else to like help me manage them but really it was like no one could yeah yeah exactly because they didn't understand they didn't you know they don't feel them as big as you feel them and then the behaviors that go along with it are pretty troubling for people watching so yeah it is really lonely and isolating definitely yeah for sure so I have, what was the journey like before you received your diagnosis? And you did talk a little bit about that already. No, but how did it shift when you found out what was wrong? So you, you kind of are listening to the podcast. What do you end up doing next? Um, I, the next thing that I did was start looking for treatment. And it shifted because like I had this drive and was so determined to not let like my behavior take anything else from me. Um, I contacted you and was like praying. You had like an opening and I was like, please let there be an opening. Like I, your approach method just like made sense to me. So good a lot of other things shift it was um like i had to come to terms with like a lot of my problems were like reality distortions i'd never heard that term before and i had to start putting other people's perspectives in my mind to understand like the truth of the situations um and then i just started apologizing to all my friends and 
like and from there i was like okay i apologize i have to change my behavior i can't keep letting this affect my life yeah that's huge what were some of the behaviors if you don't mind sharing that you are apologizing for at this point um asking not even asking people like coming to people with like overwhelming emotions and being like seeking comfort and not asking if they have the space to offer me to you know help me out and you know not taking into consideration like what their day-to-day -day life is like and if they have have that space or can consent to me taking up this like huge amount of like mental real estate yeah yeah okay that's a big one any other ones that you were apologizing for um my impulsivity <laughs> a lot of my decisions were made impulsively and like hurting people's feelings to you know get what i wanted like i hurt a lot of people's feelings in not intentionally but i just apologized and said i'm i'm sorry like if I put like my unrealistic needs um, in front of like, you know, what you need. And that, that was a big one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's such a brave thing for you to do. And, you know, for everyone listening, Hannah does have an incredible amount of tenacity and drive. That's why she's sitting here on the recovery podcast. So like, when you want something, you get it. Like you go after it. I don't mean you get it in like a borderline, you know, negative way, right? Because that's what you're saying. I, you know, essentially I had to go apologize for doing that. But you take that quality and you applied it to recovery because you just went really like into it. So with all of these behaviors that you're engaging in, like tantrums and episodes and things like that, what makes the let me rephrase my question. Isn't it, does, didn't you experience anxiety knowing that like this was the way that you were behaving or did you experience anxiety? Mm -hmm. I definitely experienced anxiety. Um, that, that was a major thing for me. I still experience anxiety. Like right. thinking, sometimes I think back to like how I acted and like how I like came off and like seemed and like, social interactions that like i was just missing the mark on that made me really anxious and then like with that awareness going back into social settings like i felt super awkward <laughs> and yeah. had, like this like teaching wheel spinning like of like social norms and like keeping myself in check and asking myself a lot of questions and it, it can be nerve wracking because it's so many things that like, I wasn't just like, it didn't come naturally to me. It was kind of just like things fell out of my mouth mm -hmm. and super impulsive. So it was it, like anxiety inducing and like kind of awkward, but you recommended volunteering to me. Yeah. And that 
was like a great place for me to like apply like how to have normal social interactions and we're all focusing on the same task like we're all there to help people and like there's there's not a lot of pressure yeah yeah for sure what made so with that anxiety that you experienced can you help people understand how to overcome how you chose to overcome that because a lot of people experience panic i know people will listen to the podcast and then they're like uh it can be hard to hear some of the things that are said. So I always, you know, I'm curious and picking the brains of the people who I'm interviewing because I'm saying like, how do you do it? If you have, you're sitting at home, you have a panic episode, a panic attack, you're thinking about like, oh my gosh, I did that. I did all of these things and people saw me do these things. And I like did a, first of all, it's like, did I really do them? It's like the blind self that we've talked about, like blind spots. Like it's when other people know that you're acting a certain way and you don't is so anxiety provoking. And I think many people find that it's like an obstacle. So how does Hannah wake up one day and is like, you know what, I'll just overcome that. I'll just, okay, I'll just keep going. What did you do? Um. Well, first I started with like, something really basic which was like googling good listening skills like okay once you google good listening skills for me i was like wow i thought i was a good listener <laughs> and it's like oh eye contact don't interrupt don't be thinking of the next thing to say so how i calmed the anxiety was one learning those like pretty basic skills i didn't shame myself for not knowing them i was yeah. super intrigued by like what it takes to like actually be a good good listener so like i didn't shame myself for not knowing some pretty basic things and i read an article like that harvard posted and i was like okay if people in harvard harvard are like posting this and like writing articles about it it's not only me I started to talk a lot less and listen a lot more. That helped with my anxiety a lot. Um, we worked on like creating a pause between like having an interaction, like someone talking to me, me slowing down, thinking about it, and then like selecting like an appropriate response to the situation. Yeah, that's awesome. Those are really great, you know, tips and tools for people. So you're curious, not necessarily shameful. There was some shame. I think like there is shame when you first get the diagnosis, right? And like when you realize it's not bipolar two, we got to go back to this part because we skipped around a little bit. When you realize that, what do you do? What was that? What was that reaction like when you had to go and, and figure it out? Because you had people like prior to working with me, you had people, right? With that were diagnosing your therapy? Yeah, I, I, when I was 15, I had a hospitalization and it was not a great experience. I yeah. got hospitalized and then woke up to a doctor like calling me into his office saying, you suffer from bipolar disorder. Did not give me any explanation and then just 
started handing me medications and telling me to take them. Yeah. And my my mom was misdiagnosed bipolar and like I kind of like witnessed like her behavior and I was like I don't if this is what bipolar disorder is like I don't think that that's what I have like I don't have like the extreme ups and downs like through like a, a cycle it was more like during interactions and like moment to moment mm-hmm. and I'd been diagnosed with like anxiety disorder and like um depression mm-hmm. and I'm like okay that that does fit but never like prolonged periods of times with one or the other like a lot of switching back and forth um but after the hospitalization I just heard bipolar and anxiety and depression and really nothing else after that until I was like 26. Yeah. How does that, like, what do you do with that information? I, I didn't really know. I I just was like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely have anxiety and I suffer from depression from time to time. I, started going to like talk therapy Mm -hmm. on on and off a lot because all we did was talk like no one was like giving me tools like i have i got diagnosed with ptsd and um compound ptsd very complex yeah Mm -hmm. yeah complex um and like that definitely fit but all, all my therapy prior was just like talking about all the trauma. No one was telling me what to do with it. Right. I'm like, yeah. I got tired of talking about it. It's like, okay, well, yes, this is like definitely plays a role in like my behavior right now. But like, how do I not like keep acting the same way? Yeah. How can I have something, a different life? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. So you were taking medications at the time. Do you still take medications? So I take my medication journey was long and honestly pretty exhausting. I kept like during the hospitalization, I was put on two antipsychotics and another medication that I can't remember. It made me feel extremely numb and like cut off from the world like I didn't feel like myself so as soon as I got out of the hospital I came off my medications and after that I think I've tried like most SSRIs most (laughs) psychotics I'm laughing because me too you know I remember those days It's it was a roller coaster. It's like okay, well, it's like kind of gambling with like what medication is going to either make me numb or you know make me more crazy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, that's true. And I'm like, here we go again. So for a while, I had stopped like with any medication, but I. I knew that I could get some kind of benefit to just get me at like some baseline to Mm -hmm. where 
I could kind of like tackle my other issues. I was super naive with medication in the beginning. I was so young when I started taking it and I was like, just assume that it was gonna like make everything better. Like I wouldn't act the way I was acting. And I, I read something online when I discovered that I was borderline that like this one clinician was like, I typically don't like to treat borderline patients with medications. And he explained why that it's yeah due to interpersonal relationship issues. Like it's, it all has to do with your mind and right. medication doesn't teach you interpersonal effective skills. That's true. Yeah. You have to do that um, for yourself. Um, currently, I, I take Lamictal. Okay. Keep me at a baseline. Yeah. Um, it definitely helps a lot. Um, but when I started working with you, I realized like, it's not super effective. It really is like all to do with my own mind, which was pretty freeing knowing that like, oh, I don't have to keep going through the process of like trying a new medication, it failing, me going on a roller coaster ride and then doing it again and again. I was like, oh, I'm in control of this. Like, I don't have to keep doing that. Yeah. Um, I was on sleeping medication for insomnia and I knew I wanted to come off of that medication um, because I was very determined. Like my body should just sleep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember we talked about this is powerful because I know a lot of people struggle with insomnia. I know I took trazodone for a, a really long time. It's like um, the one that knocks you out. I don't know. You mm -hmm. share it. Which one were you taking? Do you mind? Saying? I was Elevil and I think the generic name is uh, amitriptyline. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I realized after working with you, like I I had already made the decision. I knew when I started taking it that I didn't want to be on it for the rest of my life. And yeah. after we started working together for a time, I was like, okay, I'm ready to try this. And you helped me create like a new association with sleep. And like, mm -hmm. we figured out like a routine, like that I need to follow. That was like super, like it super helpful. Like I was shocked. I was like, wow, I can sleep without medication. I, I was yeah. on a low milligram. I think it was just like a, an association I was making. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't helping anymore like i was still suffering from insomnia even on the medication yeah well we looked holistically too so it wasn't it was an association but it was also you know like blood sugar regulation so we talked about like having a like looking at what you're eating throughout the day right and like having something that's a little higher in carbohydrate and more soothing at the end of the night we talked about supplements so would you share what worked for you and your sleep care plan i'm sure someone out there would be able to like maybe try it out for themselves yeah definitely so you i started tracking my eating habits mm -hmm. i was so out of touch with like my physical body. I never paid attention to like my blood sugar and like my eating schedule and how much it affected my mood. So I was kind of logging like 
my mood throughout the day and notice like the consistency I could maintain in my mood if I was snacking more. Right. Um, so at bedtime, I used to eat like super early in the evening and would go to bed and not have like had a meal for like six hours. So you recommended me eating like a warm carb that like felt cozy and like kind of grounded me mm-hmm. in feeling, um, which made a huge difference. I started using the calm sleep drink mix, mm-hmm. um, which I love, like all the ingredients in it are amazing and all natural and like, there's no worry of like a weird side effect or like yeah. taking it and then having to like wean yourself off of it, like medication yeah. and counting sheep. And counting that- sheep. That's great. So what snack did you choose just for the audience? So they know what a warm grounding snack. For I, you is? Yeah. I chose oatmeal. Oatmeal. Yep. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Oatmeal, cream of wheat. Um, I don't know, throwback from my childhood, Farina, those of you know, anything like my recommendation was something warm. And the reason for that is it's a, it's a slower process carbohydrate. So like sometimes when people are going, we're like revved up engines all day long that you, you require that to allow your body to slow down if you have blood sugar dysregulation stuff. So that's cool. And then the calm drink, um, is natural calm. So I've mentioned it before, which is magnesium, GABA, melatonin in this tea. Did you, do you get the tea or the gummies? I get the tea. The tea. Yeah. And then counting sheep. Tell us about counting sheep. (laughs) Sheep. So I realized like it was my mind that I couldn't get to like shut down to go to sleep. So you're like count sheep. I was like, okay. So my mind could focus on one thing instead of like everything on my to-do list and just, and every time my mind would like wander away from counting sheep, I would just bring it right back. And it was like, just boring to count sheep. So eventually like I would fall asleep and it's so boring, but it's better than thinking about like, your to-do list. Also, I started to keep like a a journal next to my bed. If I really could not stop with the thoughts, I would just like journal dump them all out. And that made me feel a lot better. I'm like, it's on paper. I don't have to think about it. The paper's not going anywhere. If I need to think about this again, it's right there for me to read. And I never read them again. (laughs) That's great. That's good. It's a containment skill is what we would call it, where you're like, you put something down and then you hold it. You know that it's there. It's in a container, but you don't actually have to address it then. So that's a really great, you know, additional tip there. So a warm grounding snack like oatmeal, a natural calm tea, counting sheep, journal dumping, all of that in an attempt to not take another medication is huge. I mean, if you have like the, taking the Lamictal and, you know, I've just for, you know, listeners out there, I've talked about this before. That's 
if you need to take the lamictal because it grounds you out, that's good because there's probably like genetic components that were, you know, you are required to do that. And then maybe one day you go, I wonder what life is like without it, but you don't do that until you're like, okay, I have complete control just like you did with sleep. And, you know, and, and even if you never do that, that's fine. Like recovery means no chaos, you know, and it means being aware of like your needs and nurturing yourself and, like all of those things come as you kind of learn and grow over time. So that's great with that sleep medication. Yeah. So you don't take it anymore. No, I don't take it anymore. And since stopping it, I realized like, I think it's important to ask yourself, like what realistically are you getting any benefits from this medication or is it just like a mental association that you think you're getting and after stopping my sleeping medication, I'm kind of drawing that conclusion Yeah, more to my lamictal, especially getting further into my recovery, knowing that like all of this is like work that I have to do on my mind. And like, I have an option to like not rely on the medication the further I get into my journey. But if, you have like if you're thinking about stopping or changing a medication like i would definitely say like what problems are you seeking to address with the medication is it doing that is it doing that a little bit yeah um, good if you want to eventually like try to not take the medication, like hone in on those problems, work with someone to like set yourself up for like the transition. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good advice to give to people for, you know, medication. Is it, is it, what's it doing for you? Is it doing anything for you? Is it an association? And then also like, you know, do you have control? So with the sleeping medication, I think one of the things that you and I talked about is like, hey, look, if you stop taking this and you need to take it again, you have a provider that can do that for you. You're not, you know, I think oftentimes, you know, when we look at medication, especially without having emotional regulation skills, then we fear, I know I used to get scared, like if I stop taking this, like I'll go back into the hospital or like something really awful will happen to me. And, you know, it definitely might. That's why you need to have you know, a medical team, you need to have care, you need to have somebody you're, you're talking to. And then, you know, also it might not. <laughs> and so if you're, you know, out of the hospital and you're, you know, you've been stable for a while and you're looking at your medications, just like, you know, Hannah, you said, you want to start asking yourself, what happens if I stop taking this medication and then my symptoms increase? So Hannah, you have great advice because people should be logging it, tracking it, having some kind of a baseline, asking themselves what it's doing for them. And then recognizing that, you can just call your, you don't need to go right to the hospital, right? right? Like if you're tracking your, your medication uh, benefits and like you see, well, it's not working. Like what would you have done if you kind of, if, if you saw it wasn't working, like, and you were getting sicker, you were getting more emotional. I, I had that experience like several times with, especially antipsychotics. I'm like, this is making it worse. Right. And I knew, like, I mean, nothing's bad is, like, I can always try another medication or I could always go back if I quit something that was actually working. You just have to, like, 
get really in tune with yourself. And like that takes time yeah. to like check in, witness and recognize because I did not realize how out of tune I was with my body mm -hmm. before like you started teaching me like basic things like checking in with myself, like asking myself, what, what do I need? Is it really like to do with the medication or is it like some weird internal story that you're running away with making you anxious? It's not that you're not on the medication anymore. Right. That's good. Yeah, that's good. And you can always pick up a, pick up the phone and call someone and say, Hey, you know, but it does require this medication shift. It really does speak to a lot of the work you did in recovery because even the advice that you're giving, these are all based on somebody who said, I don't have control over my life. I need to get control over my life. I'm not going to believe people who say that I can't have control over my life. I'm going to latch onto this word recovery. You took a leap and you called me, which is huge. I always have spots open. Like I try to make my calendar so open because this is like my life's work and I just really want to help people. So you reach out, you've, you realize that about me that I'm not untouchable. We talk a lot. We're in the community, right? It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you go after it and you keep going after it to the point where you have to ask yourself like all these questions. What do I need? You're, you're counting sheep. Right. Which, you know, it's it's something that we you can do like counting sheep. I say it like that because. Of all the things that one would think in a mental illness journey that would like help them fall asleep, it's not going to be counting sheep but you are like you know what i'll do it sure you want me to eat oatmeal you want me to get this natural calm you want me to count sheep i will do anything that you tell me to do within reason within reason so that i can really like do this it takes a lot of tenacity what do you think have you thought do you think of yourself that way i don't think i've even wrote that down in the questions <laughs> I I asked you one time during a session, I'm like, what's the quality that you see in me that like, I may not see in yeah. myself? And you said, you're very tenacious. And I looked up the definition of tenacity and I was like, whoa, I do, I do have this quality. That's amazing. And I could look back and, and see it like in all the work that I'm doing. And like, yeah. there are times where like, it's not easy to choose to deny what feels like natural instinct to yeah. you know do the opposite of what you feel like um yeah. and counting sheep thing it's like i feel like sometimes the borderline mind thinks like it can't be that simple it can't be eating oatmeal and sheep. Well it has to be like a sedative <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well said. Well, you know, and like it, the emotions get so big, you know, I mean, I know like in a, in when I, for, when I was taking medication, I couldn't see past it and wouldn't see past big emotions. So, you know, you really do need the rock bottoms in recovery, even for, you know, I have a lot of parents say like, how can I get my child or even my adult child to do this, to do in I mean, one of the things that's required and you, maybe you can speak on this, like you can't get anyone to do recovery. Recovery is something that like, if you really want it, you need to go for it because of something really painful that's happened to you. Do you agree with me? What do you think? 100%. 
Like I, I had a therapist that like knew about my diagnosis and didn't share it with me. And when I think back about it, like, I think maybe she could have like, if she would have told me, I don't know if it would have like stuck as much without me hitting rock bottom, Mm. but it definitely takes for me. It took like that, like punch to the gut of like losing someone that was like really special to me to like tell myself like, no, I, I am not going to continue to choose this. And like, no one's going to stop me. I stopped caring what I saw on the internet. (laughs) I refused to let it be something that was just managed or like kind of tamed. I also realized that like, um, I don't want people to cater to me and work around my big emotions. It's like not their responsibility. Like I, I want to have like functioning relationships and friendships with people that aren't like, Oh, we got to cater to Hannah. (laughs) Right. She has a big feeling. We don't want to like, no, let me, let me cater to myself. Put, like I, I do have like specific things that I need to function in the world and there's nothing wrong with that. Like sometimes I have to pull out a flashcard before I go volunteer or I go to a social event that has like the eight good listening steps on it just to, you know, make sure no one's catering to me or not feeling heard because, you know, I know what it's like to not feel heard. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And flashcard is something that, you know, nobody knows that you're doing it and what's the shame in doing it when it makes you be the person when it not makes you, but it allows you to become the person that you are meant to be all along. And, you know, I do think this is something that's really powerful and I'm thinking of this as we're talking. So, you know, like a lot of people will say I'm alone. I'm, I have no, I don't have a lot of family or anything. Maybe it's for black sheep purposes or maybe because family has problems or maybe because there isn't family. And, you know, that's, it makes it really difficult for recovery when you don't have a, a supportive, a lot of support. Right. And I think for you, it's important for people to know this about you, that you lost your mother and she passed away. Right. And you have an estranged father. Is that fair to say it that way? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, there's more to it. I'm not going to, we won't share all of it because that's part of, you know, your, your, your heart, right? We're not going to give everyone that, but it is important. I think for people to know that Anna, you know, she had the punch in the gut and then you had to figure it out on your own. You do have family, but not the people who are closest to you. And that's another big driving factor, you know, believe it or not, when there's no one there to catch you and you got to catch yourself, you better hurry up and catch yourself. Do you, do you feel like that's something that you thought? I know I did. I, I didn't really think of it a lot because I, I did grow up like with my family being very avoidant and my mom, not like, being really in my life and I I already felt all alone the whole time and I kind of operated 
a lot in the mindset of like, I have to do this for myself. I have to get it for myself. No one's going to hand it to me. And I had a lot of abandonment issues. So I already had that alone feeling. So to like, in a way, I think it kind of did help because mm-hmm. I knew that like, I've made it this far with the feeling alone that like, you know, I can do this. I've done so many things on my own without like, you know, emotional support from my family or uh, understanding. And it's to no fault of their own. Um, Yeah, exactly. They just like, that was another huge realization that also I wasn't really ever alone as I thought I was. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because you're learning what, like what's true, right? Yeah, it was the truth yeah. is everything. <laughs> truth is everything. I love that. You know, I love that. All right. What are, well, first, before I go into the next question, thank you for allowing me to share that because it, you know, it is, it's important for people to know the different, like, where do you come from? Right. And like, what did you have to battle? And you're right. You were alone for a lot of your life. So that's helpful, right. With your tenacity. And, you know, it just, drives you it just drives you so that's good what are the top five things you have learned since we have started working together so i think they would be there's so many (laughs) that's good (laughs) but i i'm trying to think of like the definitely the top i think the number one thing is uh recover recovery is not a straight line I very naively thought like, oh, since I know about this diagnosis, I won't operate in this frame of mind. But it's like you you don't know anything else. Right. You, you kind of know like yeah. what you're dealing with, but like you don't know how to apply it. Um, it's It's not a straight line. It's not perfect. And you have to keep getting back up. Yeah. And then something that like I always keep in the front of my mind that you've taught me in the beginning when it was like my rock bottom and I was suffering a lot with depression, like brushing my teeth was hard at that point. Yeah. Um, I was like, how do, how do I do this? Like, how do I get better? How do I obtain recovery? And you said the battle, the battle is how. And I still think about that when like, I'm, you know, feeling something super intense and I'm like, how do I get better? It's like in this moment right now is how you get better. It's like feeling this feeling and not reacting to it. And like, it's not comfortable (laughs) to sit with something like that, but Mm -hmm how how you recover is like in the dark places and the emptiness and the loneliness is like you don't stay there and right as cliche as it sounds it's like there's no way around it you can only go through it um definitely was very avoidant in the beginning um (laughs) I'm just going to go around this, like sitting in like 
sadness was so uncomfortable and um, like, you taught me like i have to grieve the person i thought i was and like that i didn't understand it until i started doing it and i was like oh like this like you can't you can't skip this step yeah um and yeah. once i got comfortable experiencing grief for what it is like i found so much like power i'm like oh this is how I put this down and move forward. Yeah. You also taught me like truth has to touch every corner. Like I will hear things that I don't want to hear and that's okay with me. <laughs> every time like you're like, okay. I'm like, no, please tell me. Yeah. You're really open. Cause I've, I've come like in my own journey, I will soften the truth as much as you, there's only so much you can soften the truth because of that blind self thing like if there's something that i know that you're doing or that i know that you know the diagnosis you know it, it just has it's a behavior that's part of it i have to say it because if i don't say it then you'll never understand it you'll never be able to see that part of you and if you don't want to hear it and you not you know you don't work with me after that then that's a risk to take but i work hard on softening it yeah but you've always received it you never needed it soft that's good no, I think that like not hearing the truth like for a really long time was like super detrimental to like my me starting recovery and even understanding like what I was suffering from. Like no one wanted to tell me because of the stigma. Yeah. So, like just staying open to the truth and you know, you you taught me that there's a choice. Like I didn't know that there was a choice to not live like painfully. I didn't know that like I could obtain the life that I desired. And you, you're teaching me functional love, like how it's functioning. Cause that's like one of the main things that I really struggle with is like learning what functional love is and teaching me about object permanency like i <laughs> mentalizing empathy deficits yeah those are good that's more than five <laughs> Sorry. no it's fine that's just it's great yeah i mean you've there's a lot of information to be learned and you've definitely kind of gone through it what else do you have though do you have more things that you know you'd like to that like top five things or just things that worked for you so i think it's helpful for other people to hear that Things that worked for me in the beginning, especially cold water. Like I, rage was my thing, mm. rage. And like, there's nothing like getting in a cold shower to shock anything yeah. <laughs> out of you. Um, so cold water always like worked for me in the beginning. It's just like, you have to fight that. I don't feel like being cold right now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And yeah. fight the urge to want to go with the rage and like to do the behaviors that come so naturally. It's like you said before, truth has to touch every corner. Right. And the truth is, you know, we can't, if you want, don't want the stigma, you know, and you want recovery, you really just can't act that way anymore. You know, you can't hurt yourself or whatever other thing that you do in a rage episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As as I got further along, um, 
I realized that the the point of the cold shower was to start creating this space. Like I really thought I would have to be in the cold shower forever, hyperbole, but I, <laughs> <laughs> like, man, am I going to have to keep taking cold showers? And then I recognized the association that you were trying to like, it, it works, but also my brain was associating like, Hannah, can you calm down and stop before you act this way? Or do you need to get in a cold shower? Like, do I really need to do that? Or like, can I move past that a little bit? Not that there's moments that I definitely don't need something intense. I just, whatever it is that I'm experiencing, like the intensity has to match, which is another thing that you taught me. Yeah. Yeah. To the, the intensity of the emotion regulation skill has to match. Yeah, for sure. Cold water is just, you know, the, the, I think you can access it anywhere. Right. So it becomes, you know, the easiest, let's say, quote unquote, it's not easy by any stretch of the word, because like you said, you have to want so badly recovery that you choose to turn down the intensity of your emotion with that cold water. So it becomes it's like a domino effect. Right. So the first domino is you need to want this. Right. And the second domino is you need to, you know, like be open to the idea that maybe people know something about you that you don't know. Then the domino number three is like the truth is required because if not, you're just spinning your wheels, even in therapy. And I have, you know, some people that I've like, you know, I do this with, right. Cause sometimes you don't really know where to go with the truth. Right. So it's to no fault of anyone who's caring for you. I think the more I do this, I realize like even that clinician who didn't tell you, like you said, maybe I wouldn't have received it. Right. So whoever's in your life, you know, just know that they're all trying to do the, the best they can with what they have. And, and, you know, without the truth, though, that third domino won't fall and that fourth domino and that fifth domino. So you're talking about these this domino effect. And then, yeah, you know, I wanted you to create the association as fast as you possibly could so that you can get through like you had a goal. You're like, I want this person back in my life. Right. I, I want to see if I can like like salvage any of this. So we had to go quick. And, you know, if you want quick emotion regulation, creating that space between stimulus and response, you are going to hop in that cold shower until finally your brain goes, nope, you're just not going to behave that way because you don't want to be cold. You're all good. Right. Definitely. Now it's more like, okay, just breathe, slow down, calm down. Like it's good find the truth because I couldn't get to the truth at the beginning without a cold shower to like calm me down. It's like, okay, think right. about this logically. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Anything else that you wanted to share in terms of things you learned? Um, there's so much. <laughs> I, I learned that feelings like they have a purpose, but their purpose is not to be the sole thing that drives you. Mm -hmm. um, moral compass work is key that they don't change. Like the, it's a, it's a compass. They're meant to guide you and they, they don't change with the way that you feel in any given moment. And that was something that like, I was very guilty about. And that's kind of what really started the whole, like, identity crisis thing is recognizing that like I thought I had morals but they were so fluid right. 
Um, so learning what my morals were and like doing the best of my ability to stick to them. I mean, I still make mistakes. Yep. Same. Um, and it's just, it's a grounding. Like I have a direction now. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, you do. You have absolutely. And more morality. The other thing I think that, you know, I teach people in the beginning is that morality is black and white. So like once you understand that to a degree, like in my world and whatever, you know, the truth is the truth, a lie is a lie. It has to, it had to have been that way for me in particular, because when a white lie is not a big deal in the world of someone who's hyperbolic, I mean, you know, right? Like it's hard. So like having black and white morality where it's like truth is truth, lie is lie. This selfless service means I sacrifice myself and I go and volunteer and I build a connection with people makes life a lot easier, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And then with the whole white lie thing, you just kind of, I realized how stupid <laughs> it was. It's like, what, why, why were you doing this? Cause that, that was a big one for me, like white lies and um yeah it definitely has to be like a black and white thing like anytime they mostly were to like protect me like self-preservation and also you teaching me that like self-preservation cannot come before your morals and like sometimes you just have to be uncomfortable like following a moral compass like isn't always the most comfortable thing to do. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, especially in recovery, right? It's like very uncomfortable. And that's true for people who don't struggle, you know, with borderline personality disorder. And, you know, I've had people come to me and go, well, why doesn't so-and-so have a moral compass? Well, I don't know. But I do know that without one for me, there wasn't recovery because it was really easy for me to do things that were just like, morally not sound and somehow justify and rationalize that it was actually a good idea because I felt a certain way and everyone should bend to me, which is what you said, taking up mental real estate in other people's minds. So a black and white moral uh, compass is what helped me go from being someone who would hurt people just to get what I wanted without intending, right? Like you said, you intend to someone who's like, yeah, I, you know, I'm just going to do the right thing. And if that hurts me, well, like that's it's part of it, right? Yeah. Sacrificing and like selflessness. Like I thought I was selfless <laughs> and realizing, like looking into what selfless was. And like I was selfless up until the point where it didn't like feel good or serve me in some kind of way. Yeah. It's just so honest, right? So that's another thing I think you know, th- that you've learned on, in recovery is that you just be honest. That's, yeah, just honest and yeah. transparent. And it helps people, it helps you, helps people connect with you better. It's going to help everybody who listens to the recovery stories. I think that's why the recovery stories are powerful because everyone's really vulnerable and honest. And yeah, so I really appreciate that. That's a huge one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And how long have you been, how long would you say you've been working on recovery at this point? I started, I got my diagnosis nine months ago. And within two weeks, I 
started working on recovery. So I've been working on recovery for about eight months and I just keep experiencing like freedoms that I didn't know were open to me. Yeah. In eight months. A lot. Fast. Yours is so super fast. You're, you know, because you're so tenacious is fast. What are, when you say freedoms and, you know, I see like, cause I can see you. And so if anyone's on the audio as Hannah kind of tears up a little bit, what are the freedoms that you're thinking about? What's the one that you're like, yeah. Just freedom into like knowing that I don't have to, like, I have a choice. The freedom of choice is everything. Like, I mm -hmm. can choose to, like, let whatever I'm feeling, like, wreak havoc over my life or not. And it's like, oh, I don't have to feel this way. Like, when I, like, feel something that's intense, I, I'm like, wait. I don't have to do that anymore. Like I've learned another way. Rosa showed me another way. I practice other ways. Like recently I had a moment where I was feeling like super intense and I went in the bathroom and I looked at myself and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you don't have to do this anymore. Like you're choosing to feel like this. Is it necessary? Like yeah. you can choose something else and like, just choosing to not continue in the chaos is like experiencing that freedom. I, I know there's more to continue to experience and that's what really like drives me. I can experience deeper connections, building depth in my relationships. I can experience like you know, people differently, like for who they are, like I can, I can understand them better. Yeah. Those are huge. And just, so, it's just so beautiful, you know, cause it has been a short amount of time and, you know, we're not saying that you don't have more recovery left. It's just, if you really attack it, you really do get results quick. I mean, this is huge realizations that you've come to and you're even able that person is back in your life and you're working on rebuilding. So I want to update everybody on that one, which is, you know, really big. So that's, yes, just really big. Let's just keep saying really big. Oh, really, really, <laughs> really big. So what keeps you going in recovery? Um, I want a family. Oh, that's, that's my main my main thing is I, I want a family and I want to experience functional love now that I know what it looks like. Um, yeah. uh, I want to love people better. Yeah. I want to love people that conveys what is on the inside of me. Um, yeah, vulnerable. I, I want others that struggle and suffer to know that it's obtainable. That's, that's another big thing that keeps me going, like in the community too. Like I've made so many connections with people and the community is a huge push for me and keeps me going because like, yeah. I want to show them too, like, Hey, you're new here, but you can do this. Like, yes. yeah, we've got your back. Like, 
I'm not so far into it, but like it's it's a whole new world. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Let's let me uh just for listeners that don't know what you're talking about. So you used to see me once a week, sometimes twice a week. Now you see me once every other week and you go, you're a part of the community. So just to give people an idea of like, how did Hannah do this? What's the frequency? How often, you know, and the community that, that you're referencing is the Mighty Network community. We started it in May. Um, I think like, I thought it would be, get a little more traction than it got. There's not many people in it, but I think though that it's, you know, it's um, a really good resource and you're saying it is. So what is it about the community that, helps you with recovery just the connections is that what you're saying the connections the accountability like we're all friends and you know if someone's struggling with something like there's support offered but there's also like hey try this like what like it's so loving like it's not the approach is loving, like, hey, I have your back. Like, did you apply these tools? What can you do better? And I think like that aspect of it, like not only the support, but the like, the push to like, okay, next time. And like connecting with people, like knowing that like they struggle with the same thing. And I learned so much about myself through other people in the community it it's a really amazing place to be uh, yeah yeah i love it too i feel the same way about it because it's a community so i'm in that with you guys too actually if it wasn't for hannah in the community i would not have a air fryer and i use my air fryer all the time because i eat carnivore and so i put a steak frozen steak in there and i'm just like good to go so that's those are the we talk about everything in the community we're like got recipes fitness stuff We've got podcasts, we have book club. It's so much fun. Like it's, it's so much fun. Like everything doesn't have to be so heavy. Like yeah. I think a majority of the time, like there's a good balance of between like offering support, but also like playing around and like sharing like our day-to-day -day lives. Like we're, we're just like any other human. Like we love a good air fryer. Air, air fryer, right? And somebody's had somebody's goats had baby goats. So the community is like, uh, is how would you describe if you were trying to tell somebody like a friend or someone who had BPD, like what it was like, would you say it's like a Facebook? That's what I would say. It's like a, it's like a gated Facebook. It's gated for a reason. You do have to pay to be in the community because you are paying for positivity Right. And there's a lot of time and effort that goes into it, too. Honestly, you're paying for that. But how would you describe it? I so I don't have any social media. OK, OK. <laughs> but I used to have social media and it does kind of remind it's like the fun part of Facebook. Yeah, true. And like the positive, like what Facebook kind of used to be like. Yeah. Like, like keeping up with you know, people's lives, sharing new things that you've learned. Um, it's just, it's like a fun Facebook, honestly. And it's, you know, the people like you build connections. It's not like there's a lot of interaction going on. You feel like, you know, these people and book club. I love book club. <laughs> yeah, me too. Book club's like support group. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. We try to separate the two. Hannah's been great with running book club. Anyway, we can get lost in the weeds with all this because Hannah and I are part of a community. So if you're listening and you're curious about what we're talking about, you should come check out the community. It's from b2b.mn.co. Really, you know, pretty simple. F-R-O-M b2b, the number two, dot mn.co. So you can click on that and check it out if you want to check it out. But it is a really cool part of recovery. And it has been a cool part of my getting to know you, Hannah, because we're, we spend a lot of time in there, sometimes more time than others, honestly, depending on like our lives and your life. But we are there every week. We have touches with a podcast where you're either listening on a replay or you're there. We have the book club, which Hannah has run, you've run, which was outside of your comfort zone. So it gave you an opportunity to like do something different. Um, we have the, yeah. So I don't know. I think I don't want to sell it, you know, cause I, I just enjoy being a part of it, but I think it's cool that you said that because it is a big part of recovery for you. And I know that you even have friends in the community who like, you'll, don't you have somebody who you like check in with every Monday and like do a Monday mantra? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which is like sweet, you know, and everybody's on the same, you know, no one's going to be negative, you know, and Jay and I are like the negative police. If someone's negative, we're over there and we're like, you're not being, you're being too negative, right? Or like do your challenge differently or whatever. And so we do the best we can, you know, to keep it that way. But that is a huge part of like, of having a support system and just like, you know, getting to know people and, and, and count like helping them out, helping them through it and knowing that we're all, no one's going to shame you from be, for being hyperbolic. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. So can you tell us as our final question, what do you want to share with listeners? I mean, you've shared a ton. So anything that we haven't shared today? Uh, I think a lot of it's going to be repetitive, but uh, don't give up and don't, don't, compare to other people's stories they're all different don't look at me and compare yourself everyone has their own background and it's your journey and it's not easy no. there's no way around it <laughs> only through it and you know every time that you battle like you're getting closer and closer and I think one of the biggest things for me personally was just reminding myself that like the more time you spend in borderline behavior the more time you lose with like with your loved ones with making connections and like you don't you don't get that time back and it's it's so valuable and important and the life that you want i promise you it's obtainable yeah i love it i love it so much thank you you're right you know don't give up are you tired of feeling frustrated resentful or disconnected from your family, friends, and partner? Thrive Mind Body LLC Mindset Coaching and Counseling can help you. 
Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. Again, that's thriveonlinecounseling.com. Thank you.